This is the small business podcast that is sweeter than all the rest. Marketing, media, and cupcakes. Hi, it's John, along with my beautiful wife, Angel. Hi there. I've been bugging Angel for several weeks because today, Dr. Gleb Sabursky. Thank you for having me on, John. I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, he is a disaster avoidance expert. He's an author of a book, uh, Never to Go With Your Gut, and we're going to talk about that today. This happened you know, for us a few weeks ago. We were watching TV. I think it was Thanksgiving weekend, and a little ad for a little exercise bike called Peloton came on. And I remember that ad running, and a lot of people, if you're familiar with social media, you've seen what's happened. But I remember seeing that ad going, something is not right about that <laughs> ad. Do you remember that? Or we watched it later? Or? Yes, we did. Yes, I recall that vividly and just kind of sat there watching going, hmm. It, tell me what your thoughts are about that ad. Because as a TV guy, you know, I have a few, a few thoughts on it. I was, I don't know. I just kind of sat there and was kind of at the end of it went, really? That's, I mean, it was more, that was my first take on it was okay and then the fact that she looked no different at the end of it that she was charting everything i mean you could tell it was trying to be very positive toward Mm -hmm. you know her her growth i guess if you will well Um, that was her line she said somewhere hold on i got a piece of paper here but her, her line at the end of the spot was something about i didn't think i could grow this much or something like that yeah um and it it was just you know odd yeah i mean i watched it and then really didn't think another thing of it well, i didn't until it was like all of a sudden it was all over social media and i was like what why I, is everybody getting so upset i thought it's the, a commercial i thought the same thing I, I i looked at it and i thought i don't understand why they casted a girl who looks like she's 98 pounds they she's obviously a mom of a little daughter and i'm not trying to be mean to women but typically women who have younger kids haven't recovered from the transformation of having a child. Let's not get into that. Let's not get into those. Two. But <laughs> but here here was the thing that I saw on on the Peloton ad that I thought it, it, I thought this is kind of weird. She doesn't look like she needs the bike, and she acted like this bike changed her life. And then I thought I didn't really think much of it until the the Twitter hit on like the day after, and it was just this is the worst spot they've ever created. Uh, I uh, the one that was the classic was these people are going through the different reasons they don't like the husband, including one that I remember saying it's so obvious he he beats her. <laughs> Goodness, <laughs> where did you get that from? Yeah, that was a bit much. So so th- so <laughs> talk about bad business decisions. I, I did a little little research on this. So Peloton's been losing. Was was in the hole, I guess, 250 million with an M dollars uh, this year. So they weren't doing great. This ad, they've lost 1.5 billion with a B now in their stock, and they went down today three percent. You know, as we're recording this. So uh, if that's all related to that's that, that's your fault. You know it, that it's probably my fault. I think <laughs> we just keep talking about it. We need to stop talking about it. Well, no, the th- well, I, it's but the thing about it is a couple things from me from a filmmaker standpoint. Then I want to get you know Gleb's ideas and thoughts on this. Uh, as a filmmaker, when I see it and I watched it again, I thought, well, first of all, you know, I, there was no no mention of the husband. The husband never said, you know, well, honey, I know you wanted this bike. Many of the conclusions people came up with was that he was forcing her to get this bike and get in shape. Um, so if, if, if it was my commercial, I would have said, hey, you know, let's put a line in there from him saying, here, honey, I know you wanted this, or I'm proud of you, and something that would have been reinforcing. The other thing that I think is is makes this spot just so hated by people is the actress who's beautiful but she's shooting it with her they're shooting it like it's a selfie and with a selfie you always hold the camera up high 
And in television, you always make sure you're eye level with someone because if you go high, it looks like you are looking down on someone. And I think that's the perceived bias. We're going to talk about that here in a second, that the viewers are looking at it thinking, I'm looking down at this little girl and she's got these puppy eyes. Please don't beat me kind of look in her eyes. So I think it was a perfect storm of just little things they missed, and what is amazing for a, 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 a company like Peloton to completely, you know, not focus group this right or whatever they did just blew up in their face. I think it was a perfect storm of a lot of little things that went wrong. Gleb, tell me a little bit about, from your standpoint, how, how could this happen? I mean, this just seems like it's impossible that I work with companies and they, they ream through every little thing in my commercials that I make for them. How did this happen that they didn't pick up that this was going to be a hugely rejected commercial? Well, I think we have to realize that this commercial was made essentially by a company that was Mad Men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a company that were that was clearly male dominated mm-hmm. where and Peloton seems like it's male dominated because most women would have been able to pick up the really the domineering attitude yeah. that the commercial was presenting. Because for those people who haven't seen the commercial, a husband come with a little girl comes in, gives the wife a present. The present turns out to be a Peloton bike. The wife is very excited. She's very thin. And then she keeps using that bike and she is very excited about using the bike. I mean, they they could have just as well given the wife lingerie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you need to be more beautiful. Yeah. You know, you need to be thinner. And it's very degrading for women to hear that message. Especially in the culture we're in now. Exactly. We're in a culture that does not accept that. And we, we're, we're going to put the link to that commercial in, in our uh, information in case you haven't seen it. Uh, you can check up on it. This is a clear example of many companies that go through these sorts of things the disney i th- remember there was a uh, there was some disney commercial where there were some native uh, costumes from I, I don't remember maui yeah i'm trying to remember that i'm remembering that yes yes and disney got in trouble I mean, disney is much bigger than peloton yeah yes they are <laughs> and what happens for disney is sort of the same thing that they didn't think about how the targeted group how the group that's depicted would perceive the situation. So this is something called the false consensus effect, one of the many cognitive biases that we have as human beings, where we tend to think other people are more like ourselves than they Uh actually are. We don't tend to step outside of our shoes, our own shoes, and step into other people's perspectives. From the perspective of today, where women, many women, are liberated, they are independent, there's... They fight actively body shaming. Mm-hmm. They fight actively to have an equal role in society. To have that ad that's kind of 1970s Mad Men was very dangerous yeah. and very risky for Peloton. So they don't understand how the, the, whoever they're focusing group, they're, I'm not sure how much focus group they're doing or what kind of focus group they're picking. Because if they pick a group of women who fit that 1970s stereotype, there are still some of them, then that's the focus group that the agency picked and they said, you know, this is fine. So that might be their target market. It might be the case that this is who they're trying to sell to. But the the advertisement was seen by everyone. Right. (laughs) And that is the big problem that, you know, they're they're not targeting, their advertisement was seen by everyone and it's seen as pretty pathetic from that perspective from the modern identity politics 
and body shaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so our guest today is Dr. Gleb Saberski. I always got to make sure I say that right. I should know as a Hungarian how to pronounce a, Mod- a Moldovian name. <laughs> um, but he's an expert at avoiding disasters and in, in, in business and marketing. And I, we're going to get a little bit more into how he got that title and his experience. But I just want to ask one more thing related to this ad. Um, it, It's funny that I have talked to some people and they're like, I didn't see anything wrong with this ad. Mm -hmm. And then I find other people and you see people, if you go through Twitter, you'll see people who were horribly offended. Mm -hmm. And I I know there are times where our own personal background, if maybe you were body shamed. So how much does that tie into personal background? And that's kind of hard to do when you're marketing thinking, how do I know if my audience is going to be offended by this or not? How how do you look at that from, uh, from, I guess, a our brain's perspective that we don't know how to market to people because they may have a terrible experience with what we're trying to maybe communicate in the commercial. You want to think about what how it will be received, and especially by people who have a voice, who have a loud voice in our society. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to offend people who are then going to lash out at you on Twitter, lash out at you in various venues. And that's why commercials that are done you want to make sure that they minimize risk while being at the edge of provocative, mm-hmm. but deliberately so. I mean, there are a number of commercials which are provocative in an interesting way. Right. They deliberately provoke and they start up conversations, you know. And, and I've had people ask me, you know, because they know I'm in media and they'll say, well, well, isn't it's the old thing that there's no uh, all news is good news, even if it's bad news. And I'm like, no. not when you lose one point five billion dollars. That was not the intention of Peloton on that. And I, I will take two seconds to mention our, our dear, our dear favorite person, Ryan Reynolds, who capitalized oh, beautifully yeah. on this. I don't know that if you fantastic. heard of Ryan Reynolds, who's Deadpool, which we love. Uh, he has a gin company. So he hired the actress from the Peloton ad a week later and they produced a gin commercial with her in it. They never mentioned Peloton, but she's drinking heavily about something (laughs) going wrong recently. And one of the other girls mentioned, you look great. <laughs> and, and it was just it that's, was so well done. Oh, that's the kind of marketing I love is that's when somebody true. takes advantage of somebody else's <laughs> screw up. Screw up. So that was great. So let's let's talk about you a little bit. One of the reasons where I'm so glad we we got Gleb in here today is you have an you have an expertise in trying to avoid disaster. Tell me how you got started in this, and uh, and you know obviously tell us a little bit about uh, how you you have this beautiful accent that I love because it reminds me of Hungary and Romanian and everything. Tell me a little. Bit about you so my parents came from the republic of moldova with me when i was 10 uh, i was born in 1981 and they came to the united states in 1991 with me in tow nice. as i was a kid and i couldn't you know make that decision but i was very <laughs> glad uh, later that they made that decision because apparently from what i learned later moldova is one of the least happy countries in the world it oh. has it has some problems yes well it's much less happy than well, you know than any countries around it than romania than hungary and mm-hmm. so on much less happy for some reason i'm not sure much mm-hmm. less happy than ukraine but it's very it's a very unhappy country so anyway so i came here i came to the states and my parents made that that was a really good decision but they made some pretty you know, silly decisions uh, <laughs> that made me really fascinated with why and how people make their decisions. Mm. I think the worst was when my dad, uh, who was a real estate agent, mm-hmm. he was a real estate agent, and so he had variable income because he worked in commissions. And at one point, he hid a bunch of money from my mom that he made, and he invested it into buying 
apartment elsewhere and leasing it out. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, when she found out, she was very pissed. (laughs) They had a huge, big blowout fight. They actually ended up separating for a while. They eventually got back together, but she could never really trust him again. I mean, and that really shaped me as a kid, them separating, just the bad decision-making. So it made me really fascinated with why and how people make bad decisions and how they can make better ones. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of one thing. And then I mentioned I grew up and I was born in 81. So I came of age around the dot-com boom and bust. Mm -hmm. You know, 1999, when the tech leaders were partying, like it's 1999, there's (laughs) a lot of money poured into all those tech companies. I was 18. And then when I was 21, 2002, they all went bust. (laughs) So that showed me that people who are supposedly smart, you know, celebrated in the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, you know, Columbus Dispatch, front pages one day could be, you know, heroes and then villains, you know, just a little bit later. (laughs) And then even worse was Enron, WorldCom, Tyco, who hid their losses, the leadership there Mm -hmm. hid their losses using fraudulent accounting methods. I saw that top leaders made terrible, even maliciously bad decisions, very clearly, and decisions that they must have known would have been uncovered Mm -hmm. a little bit later. So... I but they still to, chose to do it. Which exactly, is like, exactly, which is kind of seems yeah. you know, silly, yeah. seems w- weird. I decided that, hey, this is something I need to, to study, and this is a difference I can make in the world. So I made this my mission, and I went into studying this topic, then went into training, consulting, and coaching. And uh, now I lead a company that does this training, consulting, coaching leaders in addressing dangerous judgment errors called disaster avoidance experts. So I've been doing this for the last 20 years. So that's my background. And that's what led me to write my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. How long is it before someone may realize that they made a bad decision? Maybe they don't end up making the perp walk. Maybe they don't necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's not illegal. But at the end, it really wasn't maybe the best decision that they'd ever made. How do they come to that realization? If they don't come to it personally, how do they how do they get to that? Well, interestingly, a number of leaders don't come to that decision realization until they're fired. Ah. So there was a study of a thousand eighty seven members of boards of directors, which fired their chief executive officers. Mm. And they found that one of the top five reasons, so over 20% of the CEOs who, are fi- who were fired were fired for denialism, in meaning denying reality. Wow. So yeah. they these chief executive officers, it's not that they didn't address problems in the company. That, that wasn't the issue that the boards of directors were concerned with. If the CEO acknowledged the real problems and said, hey, Here's the step. Here are the steps that we're going to take to do them to address these problems. That's fine. But the che- CEOs were just not acknowledging the reality of serious, serious problems, mm. whether financial, strategic, market that were fa- the, these companies were facing. I mean, look at what happened with Uber and uh, its CEO <laughs> Travalnik. The Uber was facing a real problem of sexual harassment mm-hmm. accusations within the company. It was really had a problematic, unethical culture, mm-hmm. uh, according to internal reports. And its CEO was just refusing to do anything about it mm-hmm. and really refusing to punish people who are clearly implicated in sexual harassment. So eventually, after trying to get the CEO to do something, 
the board of directors forced him out. And Uber is still suffering the terrible, terrible consequences, whether both lawsuits, reputation losses. I mean, considering that Uber and Lyft are the two main competitors, a lot of people I know, including myself, and a lot of people outside of my personal circles Mm -hmm. are deliberately choosing Lyft because of Uber's sexual harassment problems. Yeah, one bad decision can kill a company. I know we we were talking a little earlier, and we might get, get into this maybe on another show, but, you know, Boeing has always been rock solid. I mean, this, this is an American company that just makes things work, and they are in a boatload of trouble because mm-hmm. something has gone wrong with something with design beyond my my understanding. But it, I know you talk a little bit about Henry Ford, and mm-hmm. who was a genius at some things, but other things he was completely oblivious about. Uh, and it, you seem to see that with the entrepreneur mindset, where they're I- impenetrable, but then they make bad mistakes suddenly, and they don't think it's a bad mistake. Well, entrepreneurs, just uh, this is really interesting. They're unfortunate entrepreneurs are taught really bad lessons about going with their gut. This is one of the most horrible pieces of advice that entrepreneurs are actually taught to go mm-hmm. with their gut. I mean, you could see that looking at enterprises, startups that start and their failure rate over the last 50 years, when we've been tracking them, we've been seeing very steady, same statistics that about half of all businesses, startups, fail within the first five years. Wow. <laughs> About two-thirds of them fail within the first 10 years, despite uh, you know all the advice, all the fads, because entrepreneurs oh, throughout all this period have been told to go with their gut, and they mm-hmm. do, and they make really bad decisions as a result of it. So that's kind of with uh, what's happening with entrepreneurs. Now, what's happening with top leaders, there's a little bit more complexity because large companies, they have more resources to absorb bad decisions, okay. to absorb bad mistakes. What happens with the very top leadership? Why they make bad decisions? Why they either deny reality or they use fraudulent accounting methods or things like this, or they you know, go too confidently, too fast. I mean, I remember when Jenny's right here, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, yeah. I love Jenny's, but uh, so props to Jenny's ice cream, but when Listeria was first discovered right. in Jenny's, the, they you know, went ahead, they did a cleanup, and then they opened up a month later. Mm-hmm. And then Listeria was they, immediately they, discovered they you know, <laughs> again. And then they closed shop, they, they, you know, they, they opened up, a little bit later, and then it was discovered three months, uh, f- you know, three months from them. So that that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that shows very terrible. Chipotle decision. had the same problem with yeah. some things, and I know from so, a yeah. media, media perspective, we're always taught. At least that's what I, I I'm sure you do the same thing. Is always get in front of the story. Always make mm-hmm. sure that you admit your problems, get it cleaned up, and 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 I always am amazed when you mention some of these things where people just like, eh, I, I can, we'll we'll deal with it. It'll be okay. People will forget about it, and people don't. People don't. I mean, look at what happened with Equifax, where with a breach, I mean, my Equifax had a huge data breach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 148 million people yeah. had their data stolen, including me. And what happened after they had their data breach was that they covered it up. They covered it up for several months, hoping nobody would find out until eventually the data was leaked and they had to admit it publicly. So people at the very top of the leadership don't admit these things, even though it's very clear that they will be revealed eventually. I mean, same thing with Google. Google Plus was breached and they didn't admit it for a while. I mean, this is Google. This is one of the biggest companies around. So this happens all the time. Now, what what happens with business leaders is one of the problems with their gut reactions 
is that the gut reactions are not adapted for the modern business environment. Mm -hmm. They're adapted for the savanna environment. When we were hunters and foragers living in small tribes of 15 to 150 people, and there are a number of problems with our gut reactions in that sort of environment. But one of the crucial things about tribalism was that we are wired to climb to the top of the social hierarchy within the tribe. Mm -hmm. That's very important for us because... For our ancestors, the ones who climbed to the top of the social hierarchy were the ones most likely to survive and reproduce. Mm -hmm. So we're the descendants of those who were most successful, climbing to the top of the Mm -hmm. social hierarchy, surviving and reproducing. So the leaders who are currently at the top of the social hierarchy are going to be incredibly reluctant to do anything that would cause them to fall down Mm -hmm. and acknowledge problems. Now, Mm -hmm. if they acknowledge that the reality is not as rosy as they perceive it as, then they will be seen as losers, right. as weak, as weak as failures mm-hmm. in the eyes of their peers. It's not about the money for the Enron, WorldCom, and Tyco. It wasn't for the money for those leaders. You know, they had one more year of bonuses. So right. what? The problem was that they were very reluctant. They were emotionally, their gut reactions told them that they can't afford to be seen as failures in the eyes of their peers. Mm. And therefore, they made these terrible decisions which caused them to end up in jail eventually. Right. But in the short term, they they didn't suffer the harms that would, and they had much more damage going on in the long term. And this is what happened again with Jenny's when they tried to relaunch too fast. Right. They wanted to not be seen as failures. They wanted to not be seen as losers. We got it fixed. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And when the Equifax and you know Google, when they covered up their losses, it was also, you know, they don't want to be seen as weak. They don't want to mm-hmm. be seen as failures, even though the cover-up is so much worse than the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we know it. We're talking about it right now. But those leaders, I mean, they should have known this. And But it's their gut reactions that caused them to make these really terrible decisions that cost them so much going forward. And it's the same thing that happens to entrepreneurs when they make terrible gut decisions that cost them so much going forward. They have many less resources to absorb the bad consequences of their gut decisions, which is why they go bankrupt at a much higher rate than large companies. So give I know one of the things you have, you, you have five ways or five steps, I guess, to, to avoid a decision disaster because ultimately – um, until they invent a time machine hmm. that will put you out of business so people can go back and fix everything, <laughs> we have to start making better decisions. So give us give us some of your tips here today, especially for those, those of us doing business and so forth. How can we avoid uh, making a bad Peloton ad or, <laughs> or, or making a mistake like that? One of the techniques I talk about in my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, is how to quickly check any decision that you're making to make sure that it's not going to be a disaster. Now, this is not a technique where you maximize the outcome, where you, when you're launching a serious project, when you really want it to succeed well, this is not the technique for that. This is a technique that you use to prevent a disaster, whether right. it's an everyday decision or a major decision. Okay. So first, ask yourself, what important information did I not yet fully consider? So what important evidence did I not yet take into account? Hmm. The crucial thing about that is that we often very often look at evidence, look at information that fits our intuitions, that we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know, if we are launching a business, we look at evidence that says our business will succeed. We don't look at evidence that says, you know, 
our everything will go to crap. Yeah. 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 Right, right. We don't look at that, uh, that evidence and we try to ignore it. And that's our intuition. Our intuition is to ignore. Or if we want to hire somebody, if we want to hire a friend, we think about how great it will be to work with a friend. And we don't think about, well, how will I deal with conflicts with this friend? Right. You know? yep. <laughs> and that's kind of another that's big thing. a lot. Yep. So this is another sort of area, whether it's hires, whether it's launching a business or launching a product or anything like that. You want to think about evidence that goes against your preferences. What makes you uncomfortable? Look at that evidence much more hard, with okay. much more thoroughly than evidence that makes you comfortable. Try to prove that your preferred option is wrong. Good. Okay. That's okay. the key. Try to prove that your preferred option is wrong. If you can't prove that, that's great. It's more likely to be right. But you want to try to prove that it's wrong. Okay. Great. So that's the first. Second, what dangerous judgment errors did I not yet fully consider? So the book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, looks at the 30 most dangerous judgment errors for in professional settings. Wow. So it looks at them, talks about how to address them. And of course, if you want to take a look at these dangerous judgment errors called cognitive biases, what are they? Check out Wikipedia. There's a Wikipedia page, list of cognitive biases of over 100 of these cognitive biases. Another one is called the planning fallacy. The planning fallacy is where we tend to have very high opinion of ourselves mm -hmm. and high opinion of our plans, and we think our plans will go perfectly. And then we tend to forget that various problems will come around that will screw up our plans. Right. Gotcha. And we, we just don't remember that. We just think that our plans will go well, and so we invest our resources in accordance with the plans that we make we don't have any resources left to deal with problems that's one of the biggest reasons why new why small companies go bankrupt especially at the growth stage because there are going to be problems that they didn't anticipate when they're growing and that's that's a big big reason for when and why they go bankrupt i remember being in like 2007 before the bank crisis and i mm -hmm. was in a meeting and the there were already reports we're heading into this it's banks are foreclosing and i remember in the meeting saying are we prepared marketing wise and so forth that we may have a, a dip and they were like We've studied this for 30 years. It's not going to be a problem. And <laughs> a year later, they were laying off people and everything else because, again, they thought, we've gone through it before. We'll go through it again. And they didn't look at the data, which was, this is different than the other one. So, yeah, yep. I, 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 boy, I get you on that one. Yep. So that's that's another example. And these are just two out of over 100 of these problems. And then, like I said, I gather them. Mm -hmm. The 30 most dangerous ones in the book, Never Go With Your Gut. Next. What would a trusted and objective advisor suggest you do about this decision? Think about somebody who you consider a trusted and objective advisor to you. That would you know, be her. <laughs> you think about what Angel would say about this topic. I, I do that all the time. There you go. Think about somebody, you know, that little angel on your shoulder. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yes. What would they say about this question? And you get about... 50% of the benefit, according to the research, just by thinking about what that person would say, not even asking that person, just by thinking about what this person would say, because you take yourself outside of yourself, you mm -hmm. get an external look at the problem. And of course, you know, you can get the other 50% by asking the person. Right. <laughs> exactly. Next, uh, fourth question. How have I addressed all the ways this can fail? So again, think about the decision. How you know Peloton obviously didn't think about this. No, they how didn't. have I addressed all? I mean, this question could have saved them a great deal of grief. Mm -hmm. You know, over a billion dollars in losses. How have I addressed all the ways this can fail? What you want to do is imagine that the situation, whatever you, the decision that you're taking, whether it's the hire, whether it's a new product, whether it's a commercial, it completely failed, utterly failed. Think about all the reasons why it failed. 
all the possible reasons why it failed, and then see what you can address, how you can address them in advance. So if you think, you know, Peloton might have thought, well, maybe w some women would be offended. Maybe they should have run it by some women who were kind of in the social justice, but anti-body shaming community. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and that would have addressed their problems in advance. Sure. They would not have launched this commercial. And of course, the other aspect of this, some things you can't address in advance, but you can make a plan, mm -hmm. a disaster recovery plan. You know, John, you probably know that a disaster recovery plan for a media problem is much better when you have right. a plan than if you just jump into forward into things and don't have a plan. If, right? if, I, if I was advising Peloton, I would have said as soon as this, these tweets hit, like on Monday or Tuesday, I would have said, we're coming out to donate X amount of dollars to some type of women's you know, abuse program that they're doing and we mm -hmm. and we apologize for making a bet that we didn't think this was that and they make an apology and, and make some, you know, monetary effort to say we, we really put our money where our mouth is. We and, acknowledge yeah. the mistake. And we're pulling the ad, <laughs> yes. which they didn't pull right away. It ran for another week. So oh, that's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So and of course, even going back, you want to have a very clear line of who is going to be the one who is responding to it. You want to make sure the CEO very quickly responds to it. You're not just leaving it to a representative and so on. Right. So you want to have a clear plan for whatever situation might come up. The same thing happens for a small business. You want to have a plan for a problem that would come up. Finally, fifth question. What new information would cause me to revisit this decision? So again, what new evidence would cause me to change my mind? Hmm. This is a tough one because when we are actually implementing the decision, it's very hard for us to pull back and say, well, is this evidence that would cause me to change my mind? Should I change? Should I revise my plan based on sure. this evidence? It's very hard to kind of second guess yourself. We're very emotionally attached to the decision. But if you decide in advance that, hey, this is an indication that I should really change my mind. So for example, if you're launching a new product and you don't hit 150,000 sales in the first six months, that can be your revision point. You could say, if I don't hit that, that means something is seriously wrong. Right. I really need to change either the product launch plan or the product itself. But if I do hit that, that's great. I'll just go forward. So that's an example of how with a product launch plan that you would do things. So whatever decision you have, you want to decide in advance what kind of evidence would cause you to change your mind to have a trigger point of revision. And those five questions will help you avoid the vast majority of decisions. They won't maximize success. There's another technique for that, but right. they will help you avoid the vast majority of decision disasters that you would typically face. So never go with your gut, how pioneering leaders make best decisions and avoid business disasters. Tell me a little bit of how people can bring in and save save their rear ends on uh, <laughs> making a bad decision. Sure, well, the book is available in bookstores everywhere, physical and online. It's published by a good traditional business publisher called Career Press. So you can find it in physical Barnes & Noble, as well as online Barnes & Noble, nice. you know, online and Amazon, university bookstores, you know, everywhere. Props right. to indie bookstores especially. You can check me out on DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Again, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com is my website, and you'll find a lot of blogs, videos, podcasts, as well as consulting, coaching, and training services, virtual and in-person. I do speaking events around the world, and I do coaching in-person, virtual, and consulting in-person and virtual as well. And if you want to check out a free online course of eight video modules on avoiding decision disasters, go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash subscribe. Disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash subscribe. And on social media, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so I suggest you connect with me there. Dr. Gleb Tsipurski, so D Dr. G-L-E-B, 
T S I P U R S K Y. Dr. Glove, come back in a couple of weeks here. I want to talk to you about some other things. We have some other ideas that we want to bounce off you about why we shouldn't go with our gut and fear and and things like pricing our products and things like that. So if you would be so kind, we'll, we're going to have you back here in a couple of weeks and we will talk more about it. In the meantime, ondomedia.com is my website and john at ondomedia.com is where you can email me if you have questions and uh, you can connect to all the, uh, all the information we have today on the show. And no matter what you're doing today, we don't want you to have a disaster, but we do want you to live the dream. So we'll see you next week. Connect with John and Angel via Facebook and Instagram and let us know your thoughts. Marketing Media and Cupcakes is a production of Ondo Media.